0: Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin.
1: This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my special guest today is Josh Dietrich. Josh, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide.
0: Glad to be here, Kevin. Looking forward to the show.
1: We are wrapping up a week here. It's a Friday afternoon here on the East coast. And Josh, where are you sitting right now? I'm sitting right now in my
0: office, um, in Minneapolis. Well, I say Minneapolis cause it's a habit. Uh, St. Michael, Minnesota, 40 degree weather and, uh, it, it snowed this morning and it's gone already. So that's, that's my world.
1: It is going to be your world probably until it gets cold enough that it would stick. But, uh, thanks again for, for coming on. So, you and I are at a networking event. How would you introduce yourself to me?
0: Hey, Kevin. Great to meet you. My name is Josh. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur full-time. Uh, recently exited a couple of businesses in e-commerce, uh, focused primarily on servicing brands that want to grow their business online and with, with an exit in mind. So a portion of what we do is helping brands that sell on Amazon see their six, seven, eight-figure exit. Um, and if if it's not time for them to sell, we support helping them grow to achieve that perhaps the next year.
1: So I am really anxious to drill down. I thought we've done this show for uh, this. Uh, this is heading into our fourth year. And I think this is the first like Amazon like FBA person we've had on as a guest, which is really kind of very surprising, absolutely yeah. surprising. And so I, I really want to kind of unpack that because, you know, people have seen so many courses and short videos and things like that in this space. I mean, he's already smiling. I'm not even through the question yet. He's already smiling. So tell me, is this, is it the beginning of the journey? Is it the are we at the peak of the journey? Are we on the downside of this whole Amazon seller space and what's it look like, you know, even compared to say two or three years ago?
0: Lots of change. And I, and I go back, Kevin, uh, to 2009, 10, you know, on Amazon, then it's significantly different. Like,
1: wow. The is world it a, like a post-it not... note then? <laughs> what do you call it online?
0: <laughs> seriously though, seriously, like there's so many tools and technology today that exists for, for selling on Amazon. Like the data available is mind blowing and, and being able to hone in on niches and, you know, discern the market size, mm. uh, with these tools and, you know, looking at competitors pricing and making price changes automatically. Uh, the days that I started were, were very archaic compared to that. Everything was manual and, and pretty much no one sold their own brand. So here's the evolution. Like, just, just put something on Amazon and you will sell it, right? And it'll be like four bullet points, like total, you know, with, with four words on each bullet point and like two images, right? And yeah. you would sell a crap ton of stuff. Right. Um, and, and so the the evolution probably six years ago, seven years ago, we were kind of on the front end of that in a business I was in, really converting from selling other people's stuff to selling their own brand. Right. And so that movement um has really happened in the last number of years, and that's the explosion we're seeing now with you know almost 15 billion dollars raised to buy Amazon brands in the last you know 12, 18 months. So I would say we're, we're probably in the middle with still lots of opportunity. I mean, 50% of people that start searching, um, you know, online started Amazon. So mm. more than half of the population just goes to Amazon and, you know, more than half of the revenue that Amazon generates on the marketplace for physical products are from sellers like me. Right. Yeah. And so that's fascinating that math because the history of Amazon was never that in the beginning. Right, so still lots of opportunity, but it's harder than ever, right? So it comes with the territory.
1: So I think that's going to kind of separate the uh, the the proverbial men from the boys here. I mean, the you know the people that are going to thrive are probably people that are doing it well and have good tools in place, and the ones that aren't are the ones that say, "I just paid fifty bucks for an online course, and now I'm an Amazon seller." And then next week I'm going to be doing something else because this doesn't quote doesn't work, you know, so to speak. Yeah.
0: Lots of Facebook ads in my news feed about like, you know, check out this course, you know, teach you how to get rich. And, and that's a lot of the motivation behind people that want to eventually start something, right? It's it's unlimited earning potential and freedom of time or passive income. And like that was my motivation once yeah. upon a time. Yeah. And, you know, how do I earn money in my sleep? Well, I wasn't a writer, I'm not a good, I wouldn't be a good blogger for a, an affiliate, right? And so there's a few business models that you can make money in your sleep. And so that's kind of why I fell in love with Amazon and it, it is so hard though, because the, the small guy still can compete with the biggest guys mm-hmm. because a, a small guy can pull out a sniper rifle and and target a very, very small niche and go sell a thousand dollars a day and make 20% profit on that. Right. And $200 a day might, re, might, might replace their full-time salary. Oh, one absolutely.
1: Product, For sure.
0: You know? And so that was where I started, you know, it's like, Oh, if I could get to $5,000 in sales a day, I'm going to quit my job. Well, we, we way surpassed that. And I was a side hustle guy. So I get it for sure.
1: So it's interesting. I was, I think I was watching another interview you had done online. He was kind of prepping for this interview and uh, you were talking about, you know, the early days and how you said, I just want to start making money. I wanted to find ways to make money and passively. And I think you, I even heard the Amway word, you know, oh, yeah. in, in that journey, so to speak. So walk us through really quickly. What were some of the things that you actually tried that you know, kind of pre Amazon
0: Yeah, uh, I still wear, this is kind of a poor, one of the examples, tungsten rings. It was, you know, back in 2000 married, 2008. So my wife, I I spent a ton of money on her ring, but I'm like, you know, honey, don't don't buy anything nice for me um, because this is just tungsten and this is $300 in the jewelry store and I can get them from China uh, for $6. And so, and then I'm like, well, maybe I should just buy a whole bunch of them and sell them. And so that was one failure. But the cool part was I had like, I don't know, I could probably fit 10 grand of inventory and you know, something this big. Yeah. And you know if I sold all of them, Kevin, it would be you know um, 150 grand worth of sales. And I'm like, geez, I could scale this right out of my basement. And I don't even need to have a warehouse. This is awesome. Well, next thing you know, everyone had rings on Amazon for seven, eight, nine, 12 bucks. And I'm like, well, if I'm paying five or six for this thing, you know, there's no room for me to, to continue. So, you know, that was one. Uh, I used to buy jerseys. I imported jerseys and um, like NFL jerseys. And this is kind of pre-understanding that the rules of engagement of of product that were licensed could be potentially illegal. So, but you know what, I was, I was walking right around downtown Minneapolis and trying to sell, sell jerseys to the tailgaters, you know, it's just how I am. I'm like, hey, you know, there's Brett Favre, man. He played for the Packers now, plays for the Vikings. I'm going to go buy a hundred of the Viking Brett Favre jerseys. I'm going to sell them like hotcakes. I did sell through them all, but I didn't replenish. I didn't buy any more.
1: <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, I, that, as you said that, I'm thinking, how many Minnesota Packers jerseys did you sell? I, yeah, I mean, right? that is like, you know, you got them from, like, we lived in the Middle East for a while and, and the shoes that were sold were Adidas instead of Adidas oh you know, my the goodness instead of the d or yeah, yeah. Was kansas fried chicken instead of kentucky fried chicken I oh my goodness you know just, just, awesome. <laughs> I mean, just a walking knockoff you know right uh, right opportunities so yeah well you know what they say
0: good artists copy great artists steal right <laughs> so right. i mean the legal kind of stealing is isn't so well but i mean we see it every day right like we when we cr- launch a new product or you know create a new brand inside of a category um it's very important to study your competition and there's a lot of aspects of your competitors that really are
1: appealing. And it's important to, to really
0: hone in on what's working. Right. And so it's it's a real deal. I
1: think somebody wise once said a long time ago, there's nothing new under the sun, you know? So I think there's uh, it's, it's interesting. I, and so as you entered this kind of the Amazon space, so late two thousands you know, maybe early 2010. So what, what did you, I mean, was it, successful from the beginning did you have some kind of fits and starts what was the kind of the journey because it seems like you've been pretty consistent in that space since then
0: yeah you know the best part is kevin when you can build something big and and get paid to learn and fail right so, mm. so i worked for someone else and i learned all this stuff on a salary that they paid me for right I learned how to source product. I learned the technology side of e-commerce. I learned digital marketing, SEO, paid search, all these things. And I really loved it, you know? So, yeah, I mean, there was failures. It was very hard. But again, remember, it was, like, it was like the old days of anything, right? Stealing candy from a baby. It was that. It was easier. Like, we sold everyone else's product. We were on our own website and on Amazon. But on our own website, if someone would come to a water filter that we were selling it was a name brand... We just created a new product page that lets someone choose our brand over there. It's just like Target does in their stores, right? Up right. and up, right next to uh, Advil, right, yep. the brand name. And so we saw that and, and I was in love with that idea because the, the idea is why do I have to pay more for something that, that's equivalent, right, or similar? So that was how it was born in, in a different industry. So when I started, it was like, if I can do this in water filters, this very narrow, specific category. I can apply this concept to, to any product in any market, right? And now it's really about finding those right products in those right markets. So it was easier. But again, if I had to start right now, which is, which is actually funny because after we sold our brand, uh, recent brand in March of 21, we, we quickly started a new brand and we're still not profitable yet on products we've launched for six months, right? And, and so before we could launch a product, it would be profitable from the beginning, but now it takes so much more capital. And, and capital is because you're investing in the advertising to get your product to begin the rank. Yeah. So yeah. ultimately you're looking for that mix between sales coming from advertising and sales that are organic. And, and eventually that sort of is the model to, to make money. But yeah, it's so much harder, like anything, right? More competition.
1: I, I thought you were going to say it was it was more expensive because it was capital intensive because you had to order like larger quantities. You had to, I mean, you had more, a lot more front end costs because to keep like, you know, cost per, per, you know, um, the per quantity lower, you know, you can sure. order 10,000. Well, you're not wrong about that. Case, so
0: yeah, you're not wrong about that. Like to start out with one product, you need to have some startup capital. Right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, you talk about this in your show, obviously this, this is important, um, but I think the key here is cash flow, right? So yes, I sold a bunch of stuff and I didn't make profit, but you have to remember, I have to have more inventory coming from China potentially yeah. before I even sell through this stuff. Right. Right? So now I have this inventory and I have that inventory on the water that I have already paid for. Yeah. And so now it's not the first 10,000, it's the next 10,000, but here's, here's the icing on the cake. The advertising puts you negative. So there's, no, there, there's nothing about that that gives you cash. You have to keep going to the coffers, right? And the, the, the requirement to get started is steeper. But a lot of that reason is if you could start profitably, you'd have more capital you could keep mm-hmm. right? as opposed to borrowing from yourself again Right. hoping that in a few months it might catch up. Right. Right. That's kind of painful. Like this brand, we budgeted to lose, um, between a and 200 grand in 21 lose like after expenses, because we're investing in, in product ranking. So, you know, it's, I didn't have to do that in the beginning. It was like, I had, you know, five grand and here we go, let's go. And it just kept growing.
1: Snowball. But it's a little strap. bit of a calculated risk, right? I mean, because you've done oh, this before, for sure. you, you know, you're like, you know, we're going to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars and go in the, in the red on this, but we know that if we follow this quote, I hate to use the word formula, but, you know, for layman's terms, it's almost what it is, is that, you know, we know this is going to rank, but um, have you ever had like a catastrophic event, you know, outside of COVID that just said overnight, you had a product that was just selling like crazy, just overnight, it just dried up and you're like sitting with a garage full of, you know, pet rocks. In the old days. Yeah. In the old days when we were selling other people's
0: brands, like, cause you had to compete for the buy box, but like in, in the private label days, you know, if you have inventory, the goal is sell through it and, and not reorder it. Like you, you never typically get into a position where you could be that far, unless mm-hmm. your product gets taken off of Amazon. Right. It gets yep. suspended. Now we did have the account suspended for like three and a half days, and, and the story there is quite simple it's fraud it was someone that bought something it was a competitor most likely that said i don't want you taking any of my market share and they reported it as fraudulent or something turns out the pseudo name they used was david david Berkowitz, which happens to be the name of a serial killer you know in new york and mm-hmm. so we traced this
1: back to like son of sam a or something laundry like that, list right? of things
0: yes yeah, exactly yeah. who it was <laughs> yep and and i even hired a private investigator so at the time, like 80 grand in revenue and you know, 25,000 in profit. You know, so we're like, wow, what, what do we do if we can't get this back on? We had to hire an attorney and spend more money and hope that they could do it. And you know, basically, they did everything we had already tried, but they were more polished and they had a formula, like you said. You know, so I agree with you. Like, we follow a formula and a process which reduces your risk to, to, to get hung out to dry. And calculated risks are very important. You know, it's whether it's a hundred bucks or or you know a million dollars. It comes down to where is the money going and how how liquid is it and what are the chances you don't have it anymore. If it's going to be in crypto, hey, great, awesome. But you know that's about as good as the next day's transactions online. And now it's a ten year plan. Don't look at it then. Don't look at it. You know, because you feel like you're losing money. So all those things are very calculated. it's a key piece to, to be an entrepreneur for sure.
1: So you, you exited, do you, did you exit like an Amazon store? Did you exit a company that did the process and had a multitude of different things? What, what was it that you actually exited from?
0: So while I was working uh, at an e-commerce company for someone else, I, I built this other brand and that brand eventually grew over six years to 10 million in revenue. So with our brand, our products that we developed, most of them were proprietary in nature, meaning we had somebody formulate something for us or design something for us. It wasn't just, hey, you make this in China, could you put a label on it? We did have some of those things. but So the brand we exited, we, we did as an asset sale. We sold the brand, we sold the trademark, we sold the rights to continue it. And, and therefore, they would get the supply chain and the manufacturing contacts and hope to continue growing it. And along came the seller account. And so we were selling on Walmart, eBay, Amazon, Shopify, you know, we were international. And so this large buyer came in and took those at and bought those assets. Um, that was an eight figure exit. So it was very nice. Mm-hmm. And, and now, you know, it's enough capital to kind of think through how do you make money work for you as, as opposed to, you know, working for the money. Right, right. Um, And so that's sort of the mindset we're in now. But yeah, you really you don't have the right to transfer the account necessarily. Like, you know, you never own the account. It's Amazon's, but you, you're selling, you know, the assets that are the brand that now they have access to. So right. it's, it's quite different than maybe a stock sale, where if you have a company that you own and you want to keep that company going as a legal entity with all of its employees, mm-hmm. you may do a stock sale and all of those things would stay intact. But this was more like we kept everything, including our people, except for, the inventory and the rights to sell on those products that we, that we created. So it's
1: quite neat. But it it also had all the kind of the IP behind the, the brand itself or, you know, that was going there. So, and I'm assuming there was some kind of non compete that said, you can't tomorrow compete directly with what we just sold or what we just bought. Yeah.
0: It's funny when you, when you, when you asked that, I thought you're going to go down the typical path. Obviously you're, you're more educated than, then others that would expect you to not be able to sell on Amazon at all. Like, Hey, we've created another brand. And then they say, don't you have another convenience? And I say, well, yeah, but selling on Amazon is, is non enforceable. Right. Now if I'm, if I develop a new product that directly competes with the product, sure. you know, that I, that I sold then absolutely. Right. Yeah. So we did sign that and we, we agreed to that, but not too worried about it because we were paid on those things. Right? Yeah. So yeah. off to the next thing.
1: That's negotiated in the price for sure, but it so- always is. Yep. I, I know that, that there is a process of kind of selecting the, the you know, the products that you would sell. And, and, but it's interesting. I, this is the first thing I, I first time I'd ever heard about tools that would automatically adjust prices. I mean, I like think you said that earlier or I know oh, yeah. of, of tools that are kind of drilling down. What are people searching for, you know, what are some hot products? What's the best seller, you know, that type of thing. But um, it seems like to me that you could very easily get, get caught in, you know, the the proverbial race to the bottom, you know, there's 50 sellers selling the the hottest item out there. And all you just, you just got to be the lowest price out there because people are so price conscious, you know, in, in that space, but how did you kind of keep the temptation away of, of doing that, of, you know, just competing solely on price and what are some other ways that you can compete?
0: You know, I, I think that's a great, great question. Great point. Because anyone that's a merchant, anyone that sells things for a living have to understand what the value of something is and what it's worth, right? And it has to be aligned with their strategy and their cash flow and their profits and their goals. So it's not a one size fits all answer, but I will say race to the bottom is a strategy to win and mostly driven long ago by, you know, fighting for what they call the buy box. So let's say you have access to product X from, from the same vendor, um, you know, that I have the same access to product X from the same vendor. The only difference between you and me is what you bought, bought it for, yep. right? And now Amazon, and you know, we have to compete on Amazon to, to get that order and it's only on price. Well, that world still exists a little bit, but not as much. The world today is you sell widget brand X, I sell the same widget brand Y, right? And so that is about this competing for the search results, mm-hmm. And and so in the beginning, we'll launch a product where we want to be very competitive because we want that product to convert well. We want, meaning we want people to click on it and then ultimately buy, not click and then go to the next guy and then buy his, right? So pricing is that strategy, but ultimately I would say there's kind of two, two big components. How do you add value? How do you do something unique? And sometimes unique might be just in the sense that it's, it's, it's a better value, right? So mm-hmm. one product um, we were competing with, it was a, our private label. Um, we did an eight ounce solution that was concentrated. It's a liquid uh, for, for a coffee machine. It was a coffee machine to scaler. And uh, the main brand Keurig had 14 ounces and it was only one use. So not only do we do two uses versus their one, but their product weighed more which means when Amazon goes to fulfill it, there was a dollar advantage that I had for every unit that I sold, mm. right? And so my product cost less. I could sell it for pretty much the same price, right? I didn't undercut on price, but I, I created more value. Yeah. So those are little things you can do. And those are more practical examples where you take and bundle things together to create this bundled value. But ultimately, we believe beyond that, it's, it's, it's about the brand and the listing and the perception of quality. Clearly, the product speaks for itself. I believe that customers shop this way. First, what is the best product that shows up when I'm searching for it? Meaning, the reviews. Is it a four star, 4.3, 4.8? How many reviews do they have total? And then what? And then what is the price, right? But inside of that is, okay, this product has the same review as this guy. His price is a little better, but his listing, or his price might even be more money. But his listing is fabulous, right? Mm-hmm. It has a video. It shows me how to use it, yeah. right? great graphics that say, you know, it answers all the questions and the bullet points and the things that I want to know about. That's a product differentiation. And the standards of that are getting harder. It's getting harder to to be good at that. And, you know, so you have to always be sharpening your blades to to be able to cut through whatever it is, you know, to be the best. And it just takes time like anything, you know, you you harness that skill.
1: So I've interviewed a number of different entrepreneurs that have had exits, you know, in various industries and it's interesting. Very rarely do they go back on, you know, whatever the, you know, their 2.0 version is of whatever they're going to do. Rarely do they go back in the same space. You know, often they do something completely different. I think that's just because their DNA is wired that way. So, yeah. how how are you wired? Well, I'm I'm very much wired to start something
0: and and get the hands dirty, see it grow see it begin to, to create lots of fruit and then find a great team or an individual that could manage it and then get distracted by the shiny squirrel syndrome, you know, or shiny butterfly syndrome, squirrel syndrome, and, and work on the next thing. I mean, uh, I have a number of things I'm doing now. I have five kids, you know, I have three businesses. So like, I'm just wired to be crazy, I guess. <laughs> but But I think ultimately, it's about knowing what you're the best at. And for me, like, identifying opportunities, and then rallying around those opportunities with a team that can support it. And so we can execute that vision is where I've known that's my space. And that's why my, I have a business partner and we are the perfect yin and yang, just like my wife and I are, you know, she does a lot of things that I am terrible at,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, that she does very well. And like my partner, like he's the operational technical, you know, finance guy, to make sure stuff gets done on time. I and mean, I'm the guy who has the, the ideas and, you know, half the time they're, they're, they're crazy. Half the time they're, well, that means if it's half and half, that means sometimes they work 50% of them work. And then, you know, maybe out of that 50%, you know, um, 80% of those, you know, are, aren't the best idea. And that he leaves you with something else. Right. But I like to try things and, yeah. I think that's been my advantage but knowing that our brand worked the first time and the only reason we were selling is to take chips off the table was enough of a reason for us to, to start brand 2.0 you know we have the formula we're going to double down on and we're going to do it again and here's the thing man you create something that's worth something now there's no guarantee tomorrow that it's still alive and it's still worth anything right, right? so building something to a point and having an exit to be able to redeploy capital in other areas was just a strategy um we didn't plan on selling last year but the, the money was flowing around so fast and the multiples were growing like this is a great offer we should take it you know yep. so yeah there's, there's
1: always there's a, a, there is a there. limit of of, of your resolve that says you know, oh yeah if they want it worse than i do there's a point in time that i yeah it just doesn't make sense to say no for for sure I know. you know yeah, there's always a number, right? It's yes. everything's negotiable. That's right. Is that for sale? Well, that depends. <laughs> that depends. Depends nah. on how mad, badly you want it. So, well, it's I funny think... you say that. It was that for sale? Like, you go to a store,
0: everything's for sale. So it's like it is what it is. But if you find something that's not necessarily advertised for sale, and you ask for it, you know, that, that's what you call off market deals, yep. right? And and yep. the the best ones can find those, and and it's really in the buy. Like if you you can buy something under market like clearly you're doing something where you have an advantage and I get that that lesson applies to a lot of things in life
1: well, that's a great segue to do my next question i mean you well you just ended that that statement there's great lessons in life so whether it's it's lessons you've learned along the way or or you've had mentors that have spoken into you we we want to really create a new segment in our interviews called the kind of the mentor moment and give me one or two things that would be really germane to our audience and you think would be really helpful, but just things you've learned along the way that are just really key you know, nuggets that if you were trying to mentor somebody that's just starting out, what would be one or two things that would be really helpful to them, you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I learned early on that it's not all about the dollar and that success is really a measure of what you see as value. And, and my success was really focused on worldly things, you know, money and success or title. And I learned the hard way, you know, and and my marriage suffered, my kids suffered, my kids suffered. And, you know, having five, it's quite different now, but, you know, the first number of years, all I cared about was, you know, traveling and building this, this business for someone else and forgot about, you know, uh, God and serving and giving. And then also my wife and and my kids, you know, they, these are the most important things, not my business. So, that was a lesson learned, but there's always a time to grind. The difference is grinding responsibly and doing it in a way that doesn't affect people around you, right? So mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, it's really about prioritization. There's a there's an old sort of Chinese proverb that says, you know, if, if everything is important, nothing is important. Yeah. And that's, that's one lesson that I learned early on. You know, if you're an EOS person, if you've ever read the book Traction, mm-hmm. it's all about getting traction and you get traction by having a common vision and mission and having the tools and the people in the right seats to move towards something. Right. So that that to me is is super important. Um I just love pouring into young guys. I have a number of guys I, w- I wish I had the opportunity to have someone pour into me like the way I have a chance to pour in others. And ultimately it's like work hard but learn as much as you can to to apply that knowledge. But be okay with failing. Like some people never start something because they're afraid that it just might not work. And I have lots of failures until one worked. And I I did want to stop. I'm like, I'm just wired this way. I got to build, but what the heck is it going to be? And for years, you know, for years, it was like, what am I supposed to do? I have this itch, right? But it really came down to just grinding, you know, and, um, working through it and trying things and being creative, but, yeah, I appreciate the question. Um, there's, there's a lot to learn. I one one nugget that I I'm not a reader. Kevin, And, and I don't like bragging about that or saying that because it sounds sounds terrible. But to sit down and read a book was never one thing that I loved. And I learned visually, I learned hands on. So I struggled even audiobooks. So recently, I came across Blinkist, mm-hmm. Blinkist.com. And I've consumed 14 books, basically in 14 days. Now, they're, you know, it's like cliff notes, but with audio and you can track along, but, you know, atomic habits and learning the power of of how habits can compound. These are huge things that I'm having to relearn now after exiting a business and like, okay, what do I do now? And I found myself sitting on the couch a number of times saying, I don't have anything to go do unless I'm passionate about, I'm not going to just, you know, I'm not one to sit around, but I didn't have any real excitement. Right. And so I had to kind of journey through that. And so getting into a routine and using Blinkist and going through a number of things that applied to me and my challenge really helped me. So, yeah, um, I, think, I think there's a power in, in having a mentor in your life um, and finding one in, in an area that you're in. And maybe it's sales. Maybe it's in marketing. Um, and many people are willing to help. And so right. leaning into those people and asking for, for opportunities to learn and grow and just having coffee, right? There's so much you will gather that you can apply in the real world
1: man i have uncorked the genie right here i mean i've touched on a subject that is near and dear to josh's heart obviously so man i i uh i asked for one or two and i got like six and then and then a commentary afterwards so i we have unleashed the, the crack in here but i i could not agree more i mean just absolutely how important mentors have been in my life and and um you know i've been very very fortunate very blessed to have some you know, some really wise people speak into at different times for different reasons, you know, and yeah. they just kind of come along when needed. But, uh, and Josh, thank you for just taking time to, to share your story and and really share this, the, the kind of the ups and downs and, th- and things you've learned along the way and, and really just touched on what it really means to exit well. And, you know, what's the next step of the journey? And because, you know, people are going to be faced with that. But, Really appreciate you taking time today and just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Josh, have a great weekend. Hey, thanks. You too, Kevin. Take care.
0: Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.